Well, good morning, Greenwich. Today is Monday. It is January 11th. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of our Basement Academy. And we need to be in the gymnasium of the soul, don't we? <clears throat> With all that has gone on this past week, we need to come gather around God's Word to be in community, even though I know we're not gathered um, in the same room. Uh, there are many who are uh, listening and tuning in to this daily study, and I pray you will all week long. And so uh, within that context, there is a community that we are thinking together as brothers and sisters in Christ, as a pastor and, and flock. <clears throat> and so I pray that we would give good attention to God's Word. I, I want to begin with a morning psalm, Psalm 11. Yes, it is one of my favorites. This is actually an important psalm to pray, but but it's an important psalm to understand. It's, it's one of the more misunderstood psalms, and I'll explain after I read it, okay? And so Psalm 11. This is for the director of music. It is a psalm of David. In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, and then in quotes, this is what is being said. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows, they set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? End quote. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes the sons of men. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked and those who love violence, his soul hates. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. Upright men will see his face. Psalm 11. This is one of the most misunderstood psalms in the entire Psalter. <clears throat> the, the line that we're familiar with, that we will hear with some frequency and probably in the context of these challenging days, this, in fact, I've, I've had one conversation with a person who already quoted this to me. Verse three, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's the line that is often lifted up from this Psalm. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? And it's commonly understood that it's the psalmist speaking of the time of the, uh, when, when a, a, a city or a family or a nation's foundations are being shaken, when, when the foundations upon which a society is built are being destroyed, what can the righteous possibly do? But you see, this is not the way to understand that line. <clears throat> and so I tried to point
point out where the where the quote happens. In the Lord I take refuge is, is how it begins. So the psalm is saying, I take refuge in God, in Yahweh, in the maker of heaven and earth, in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, in the Holy Spirit, who, who is the author and giver of life. So I take refuge in God. How then can you say to me, and then in quotes, are all of this anxious, nervous, worried speech. Flee like a bird to your mountain. Look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings. They're shooting from the shadows. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's the way to understand this psalm. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do is said in worry, in anxiety, in panic, I take refuge in the Lord. How, how can you say to me these things? I, I, I'm secure in God. Whatever foundations, I, I will grant that, that wicked shoot from the shadows. I will grant that foundations get destroyed, but I will not flee like a bird to the mountain. I will grant that in there's a time and a season for everything. We just spoke about that yesterday, right? I will grant, the psalmist is saying, that things get messy, that things get hairy, that things get tricky, the, 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 the apple cart gets upset. I will grant all of that. But don't say that to me because I take refuge in the Lord. And then it goes on. The Lord, so, so the quote ends, that's the panic. Ah, what can the righteous do? The quote ends, so don't say this stuff to me. I take refuge. Then it comes, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. I guarantee the last Wednesday when the Capitol was being stormed, the Lord was still in his holy temple. The Lord was still on his heavenly throne as he is right now, Monday morning. We need not fear. We do not flee like a bird to the mountain. We do not run panicked because we have an understanding of the one who made heaven and earth. Mm. And then the psalmist goes on and says, oh, and just in case you forgot, the, the Lord observes the sons of men. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous. He, he's looking at our hearts, right? And he's, he's searching us and finding in us what is would ought not be there. But but the wicked, those who love violence, and that's important, lovers of violence, there are people who love violence. These are not the righteous. The righteous do not love violence. Okay, that, that's important. The wicked and those who love violence, his soul hates. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. The Lord is righteous. He loves justice. So this is a psalm that calms us down in the midst of the panic. <laughs> so rather than the psalmist is saying when the right when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Kind of like our oh no. The righteous look at what happened last Wednesday. The righteous look at what happened last summer. <laughs> The righteous look at what will happen in coming days. 
the righteous look in the midst of a pandemic and say, in the Lord I've taken refuge. My soul is secure. Our lives are secure. We will all die. There is a time to be born and a time to die. These things come to us in this world that is mapped east of Eden, right? We live east of Eden. And so we remember our theology. That's the foundation of our lives as we understand, oh yeah, God created this world. God is inhabiting this world. This world has turned away from him. God has made a way back through his son, Jesus Christ. God has spoken to this world. God has given us his word. And so we need not fear. Are we troubled? Yes, but what do we do when we're in trouble? We pray. And so the dust is still settling on last week. I know I took Thursday and Friday of last week. I, I paused this study that has now been waiting for several days. Uh, things are coming to light. Uh, video evidence or video tapes are, are circulating. And so we're seeing more images of last Wednesday's uh, attack on the Capitol. The ripples and the shock waves are continuing. This thing is not over, right? I mean, the capital is secure, but the event now is rippling out. And so we need Psalm 11. In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to the mountain? I don't need to hear that stuff. I will not hear that stuff. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. That's the affirmation of my life. I pray it will be the affirmation of yours. And so this is why we need to pray the Psalms. And so that's why I'm going to return to the study and not continue reflecting on the events of last Wednesday. There may come a time when I spend a a week, let's say, unpacking. But this is not that time. I've spoken. I've, I've given some initial pastoral thoughts. I welcome anyone who would like to contact and let's be in conversation if you'd like to think out loud, if you'd like to pray. Because these are troubling times. I don't dispute that. But in troubling times, we don't flee like the bird to the mountain. The righteous understand that God is sovereign. God is sovereign over all of this. And so we make that affirmation today. So I want to return to the study on a rule of prayer. Last week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, was trying to introduce this concept of a structured pattern, a rule that provides guidance, that provides freedom. No, no, no people, no family, no organization, no nation, <laughs> can exist without order. We saw the breakdown of order, right? And so no life of faith can be sustained without order, without an ordered prayer. And frankly, many people don't pray deep, wide, and long. They don't know how to. They haven't been instructed. And so this is what I'm trying to do. And there's never a more urgent and necessary time to learn how to pray than now. And we have 150 companions, like Psalm 11, 
okay, like Psalm 11, to teach us to pray. And so, <clears throat> I want to begin with a, a, an interesting reflection. God answers prayer, true or false? Uh, duh. Of course we know God answers prayer. And then, how have we been taught God answers prayer? One of three ways, right? Yes, or no, or wait. Okay, so that's commonly taught. God answers prayer. Thanks be to God that he does answer prayer, right? <laughs> and we're taught often that God answers, yes, here's the answer to your prayer. No, you may not have that. That's not in my best interest for you. Or wait, that is, we have to wait until we see whether or not God's going to show favor to our concern, our, our wishes in prayer. <clears throat> While it is true that God answers prayer, and it's important that we understand that, there's actually something unhelpful in that. There's, there's a misunderstanding that gets tucked into it. Here, here's how it works. It's, an under, it's a misunderstanding that actually diminishes our relationship with God in some way. So I need you to hold with me, okay? If God's job is to answer prayer, then, then whose job is it to kick the thing off? And if we don't kick the thing off, then what happens? You see, this notion that God answers prayer and, and he won't be doing anything unless we pray, because sometimes that's the way we try to guilt one another into praying. Well, you should pray about that. If you don't pray about it, you must not care about it. And if you don't pray about it, well, then maybe God's not going to do anything about it. And so it shifts the burden. God's job is to answer prayer. Our job then is to initiate the action. Okay? So that mentality has God as a customer service representative. He's waiting at the window, kind of, ooh, passing time, until somebody steps up to the customer service window and makes a request. But apart from that, God's not doing anything, right? Like the Maytag repairman, you know, just sitting there, nobody calls on me anymore because Maytags are so reliable, okay? This notion that, yes, God answers prayer, then leads to, well, my job is to pray, and if I don't pray, well, then I can't blame anybody but myself The things didn't happen the way I wanted, okay? I get all that. I've probably taught that. I teach that no more. Okay? What that does is it leads to a sense of guilt. It leads to a sense... This, this is why so many people feel guilty. Oh, my relationship with God isn't very good because I don't spend much time in prayer. I feel guilty that I don't go to the customer service window. I'm so busy. I can't think of things to pray about. Whatever. And so, but prayer understood as initiating speech is actually a misunderstanding. We don't initiate the relationship with God. God initiates a relationship with us. Okay? Prayer is best understood as answering speech. Our prayers are the answer to God spoke about that last Wednesday morning before the events of the afternoon interrupted so that Thursday and Friday studies went in a different direction. We would have had a little more momentum around this. But if you recall last Wednesday, 
the structure of the Psalms in a five book structure speaks to their intended purpose and use. The five books of the Psalms corresponding to the five books of Torah. Torah, the initiating word of God. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. And then the, the Psalms are the prayer or the answer to God's initiating word, okay? I wanna unpack that further um, this morning, okay? And so if you open up to the Psalms, Psalm 1, <clears throat> you will see a heading. And there is a heading that says, Book 1, Psalms 1 to 41. And then you see Psalm 1, and then you go. So I want you to do this with your own Bible, okay? So if you don't have your Bible open now, then go get a Bible or do it after you listen to or watch this study. Book 1 runs Psalms 1 to 41, okay? And so we go, and lo and behold, we get to Psalm 42, and we see Book 2, Psalms 42 to 72. Huh. Okay, well, let's go to see if there's something between Psalm 72 and Psalm 73. And sure enough, there we have Book 3, Psalm 73 to 89. Okay, we've got our Sherlock Holmes hats on, and we can probably begin at this point to assume what's going to happen and here we have book 4 psalms 90 to 106 and then guess what we're gonna find book 5 <clears throat> is going to begin at psalm 107 sorry about that there we go and here we have book Psalm 107 to 150, and that takes us to the end. Many people have read their Psalms and never seen those headings. I was one. It wasn't until I was in seminary that I realized, oh, wow, okay, look at that. And so there is this five-book structure, but and I said last week that there's evidence of editorial activity. Well, this is that evidence. Then we work back to the end of book one, which is the end of Psalm 41, and we notice the last verse of Psalm 41, verse 13 says this, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. Well, it's a doxology of sorts. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. That's how I often end my sermons, right? Amen, amen, okay? Hmm, interesting. We go to the end of book two, the end of Psalm 72. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel. Yeah, that sounds almost exactly the same. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. This concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. Well, no, it doesn't. Well, it does for this book. For book two, 
that concludes. And so book two concludes with a, a similar doxology. Amen and amen. Praise be to God's name. Amen and amen. Hmm. What about the end of book three? The end of Psalm 89. Hmm. We come to the end of that. Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. So the psalm is talking about something completely different, but then the last verse of the psalm that ends each book ends with this doxology. So let's go to uh, Psalm 106 and see what we discover there, the end of book four, okay? Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and so there is a pattern here. Books, a collection of a certain number of books. And then each of those books ends with a similar kind of refrain, a doxology, a word of praise that, that has this amen and amen, or let all the people say amen to the Lord from everlasting to everlasting. And then you get to the end of Psalm 150, the end of book five. Well, it says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. But what we would really detect, I won't take the time now, you can do this on your own. But if you look at Psalm, the last five Psalms, Psalm 146, 47, 48, 49, and 150, they each begin and end the psalm with this simple phrase, praise the Lord. In Hebrew, it's hallelujah. Hallelujah, that is, let the people, let all praise. Yah is short for Yahweh. Hallelujah is praise the Lord. That's a translation. So when we sing hallelujah, you're actually singing a Hebrew word. Maybe you didn't know that. You knew Hebrew. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> and so the last five, so last verse of each book ends with a doxology. The last five psalms of the entire Psalter ends with this praise the Lord and then praise the Lord. And then Psalm 150 itself, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his acts of power, praise him for his surpassing greatness, praise him with the sounding of the trumpet, praise him with the harp and lyre. It's getting kind of noisy in here now, right? Praise him with the tambourine and dancing, praise him with the strings and flute, praise him with the clash of cymbals, praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath, praise the Lord, praise. And so the Psalter builds, each book ends with a doxology. The last five Psalms build to a crescendo so that the last Psalm is nothing but praise, 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 praise. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Whew. What's going on here? The Psalms are given us to teach us a right response to God. So the five books of Psalms, as I've said, I'm holding up one hand and clasping it with the other into the image of the fold of the praying hands. The initiating word of Torah, 
the response in the Psalms and our ultimate response is to the chief end that we would glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's a Presbyterian way of understanding what is the purpose of the human life? Why do we exist? We exist to glorify God and to enjoy God forever. And so the Psalms point in that direction. At the end of each of the books, praise the Lord, amen and amen. At the end of the Psalter, praise, 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 praise the Lord. Now, a couple notes. Each of the five books is not equal in size. They're not 30 books long, okay? They're uneven or unequal in size. We don't know why, but they are. Second note, there is not a direct correlation between book one and Genesis, book two and Exodus, book three and Leviticus. There isn't. The themes of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy are woven into each of the five books. Okay? But in editorial wisdom, <laughs> the compilers of the scriptures chop them up, carve them up this way. There are collections of psalms that remain together, as I've shared, the psalms of ascent. Um, those, those are not broken apart over two different books. So we notice, we do detect collections of similarly themed psalms that are contained within individual books. <clears throat> and then just finishing out with a little bit of math, there are 150 psalms. If you divide those 150 psalms by the typical length of a month of 30 days, then you come to five psalms a day. And so you have this, this macro structure of the five books that are communicating this correspondence to the initiating word. Our prayers out of the actual conditions of our lives are made to God who initiates. Our prayers are the answer to the God who calls to us. Okay? Yes, God answers our prayers, but we don't have the first word. God always has the first word. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. And so this structure... 150 psalms, five books, 150 divided by 30 is five psalms a day. It teaches us to make a daily response to the God who initiates, who comes to us, who creates us, who redeems us, who saves us. A daily response in this pattern of five. So as we pray five psalms a day, we are saying back to God, we are praying out of the actual conditions of our lives. We're going to talk more about that. How our tendency, apart from psalmic prayer, our tendency is to pray not out of the actual conditions, because sometimes we feel like we need to dress ourselves up. And that's why we need the angry psalms. We're going to talk about that, how to pray the angry psalms. Sick em, God. Okay? That's a hard psalm to pray. Well, I'll, I'll set the hook now and, and save that for a, for a future study. Suffice it to say that today, <clears throat> we need to learn to pray the psalms. God intends for his people to pray the psalms. That's why they're there. And they're there in this 
structured way of five and five correspondence to teach us that we're answering God more than he answers us. Yes, he does answer our prayers. <laughs> but more deeply, our lives are to be an answer. Our prayers are to answer the one who calls us, who creates us, who loves us, who blesses us. He wants us to know him and to experience him in the deep, rich, robust, actual conditions of our lives. Let's close now with prayer and then we'll pick up again tomorrow. Okay, let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for Psalm 11. When it seems to us as if the foundations are being destroyed and people want to flee like a bird to a mountain, Lord, remind us that our refuge is in you and that we find shelter in the shadow of your wings under the shadow of your throne and we rejoice that you are seated on your throne. Upon the cherubim and seraphim that glorify you day and night and you are teaching us to glorify you even in and through the actual conditions of our lives. Thank you for these psalms. Teach us, oh, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray afresh and new. And so use the psalms even this day to guide us in our prayers in such a challenging and troubled time. And so, Father, we begin this new week with you. We're so glad for this community that you've called us to at Greenwich and pray that in some way, these daily studies will help keep us connected to one another and to you, most importantly to you and to the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us, oh, deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the God who has created you, who has saved you and redeemed you and called you to himself through our Lord Jesus Christ and who has filled you with his gracious Holy Spirit, may that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit keep you, protect you this day and forevermore. Amen.